Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, that's me. Say more. How you doing? It's uh, Thursday, the uh, 22nd. Beautiful spring day here in <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Man, I, I remember saying uh, yesterday toward the end of the show, don't bother shoveling, it'll all melt. And then, of course, I went home and shoveled. And, uh, oh, my God, that stuff was heavy. Jeez, God. I started thinking, don't be one of those old people that ends up on the news because you had a heart attack, snow, you know, shoveling snow. So I took it nice and slow, and and I just did paths. <laughs> I didn't. I just did so the postal delivery can come, so anybody coming up my steps won't kill themselves. Ah, uh, jeez, wow! I had no idea it was that much heavy, heavy stuff. Enough already. Okay. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh, that's the first time since my hiatus that I uh, sighed at the beginning of a show. I have been trying uh, to dispense with the sighs that used to begin almost every show. Uh, uh, and it, it was a indication of just how beaten down and depressed <laughs> I've become by having to, you know, slog through the news of the day. So that was a warning. Boy, that was a warning to me. I'll up my meditation, uh, I guess. Okay, I guess I did that because I sort of hazarded a peek at some of the stuff that I'd brought in none of it particular well i've got some light stuff but none of it particularly happy uh <sighs> okay i'm doing it i'm shaking my head that's next to a sigh they're both sort of indicative of the same thing i'm sitting having yet to even bring up a topic these are not good signs So I wonder if there'll be like an exodus from Facebook. Any of you? Any of you? There is, uh, there, the New York Times today had stories of people who's, who've done it. They said, that's it, I'm out. Uh, one of them is a guy named Brian Acton. And the funny thing is, Brian Acton is a billionaire who uh, sold a little gizmo he founded to Facebook. That's how he got to be a billionaire. Uh, he was one of the founders of WhatsApp. And he has uh, written on Twitter, <laughs> it is time to hashtag delete Facebook. And... He goes on to say that uh, it's it's simply something that you don't want to be a party to anymore. And he is followed by a lot of other people who say the same kinds of things. Um, I'll give you some quotes. Facebook is at one of those 
moments where everybody who works there, who uses it, has to ask, which side of history do you want to be on? The facts are not only indisputable, they're not even complete yet. It's going to get worse. And what all these people are saying is Facebook uh, has become uh, a huge engine which has the potential and is showing it of ripping apart the social fabric of how our society and even our democracy works. Now, that might not be why you're on Facebook. You're on Facebook to show cute little pictures of this and that and to share them with your friends. But increasingly, uh, people are saying you've got to figure out what is the higher value for you. Um, here's a guy who says, Actually, this person is Facebook's former head of user growth, <laughs> somebody whose job was to lure more and more people into using Facebook. And he now says, oh, he's the one who said that Facebook is ripping apart the social fabric uh, of how our society works. So it's interesting that the people who are closest to it, who've worked with it, for it, made billions by it, are the ones that are being most vocal in saying it's time to get out. Here is somebody else who has written the history of Silicon Valley. First of all, she says these, uh, these defections that we are now seeing, especially at the higher levels and at in Silicon Valley itself, are truly historic. I uh, haven't seen this before, she said. And she also goes on to say, until very recently, it was taken as a given that tech equaled progress, and tech equaled good, and tech equaled economic strength. I mean, that's quintessentially American that anything we view as progress in the marketplace is viewed as good. And I've always been a contrarian on that account and, and on a contrarian on, you know, the, the love and obsequiousness toward tech. Um, the refusal of so many of us to uh, look at the downsides, the um, unintended consequences. Um, and I, I, I mean, there's all these articles being written now, like, how do you get off? I mean, how will I talk to my friends? Jeez, I get, what do you mean, how will you talk to your friends? <laughs> I sit here as an older person who can tell you that for the entire history of humankind, People didn't have that question. They talked to them <laughs> face to face. Oh, here's something. Then there was this thing called the telephone. You could actually talk to them, being far away from them. 
And of course now there is technology that doesn't do what Facebook does that allows you to be in touch. I sure as hell hope that a lot of people think about this and back away. Back away. Because it started out in a dorm in Harvard and seemed like a good idea. Here's a way to hook up with other guys you might want to hook up with. And it grew and it grew and it grew and now it is a powerful, monstrous tool. And bad actors have learned how to use it. So why be a part of it? As I said again uh, yesterday, and understand you're, you're what's being bought and sold. Your attention is being bought and sold. To quote Bob Dylan, you're only a pawn in their game. They lure you in. Say, look what we got for you, this shiny thing. Can put you in this network. Look at what it has wrought. Look at the ugly stuff on it. Look at the dissension. Look at the unhappiness. Look at the addiction. How many times do you have to check your Facebook page a day? Look at all of that and take some breaths, think about it, and maybe back away. And you will see that if you try to back away, Facebook will come at you. They'll say, but are you sure? Surely. How are you going to talk to? And they'll have a name of one of your friends. Are you going to share with? They really come at you. Think again. All the more reason. Back away. Did you guys know that, uh, that in Elk County there's um, apparently um, a treasure trove of Civil War gold buried there? I'm just saying, not that you want to jump in your vehicle and head over to Elk County right now, but even the FBI this month showed up and dug. And because the FBI all of a sudden has showed up and dug around, uh, the locals who've been digging around for some time are now absolutely certain that obviously something is there. Um, the FBI showed up last week in Dent's Run, <laughs> D-E-N-T-S Run, I do not think that would be described as a metropolis. Uh, Dent's Run is a little hole in the wall in Elk County. And um, the New York Times reports that it's in, in an area known for its elk viewing <laughs> activity. <laughs> oh, oh, 
And in Beaver County, do people flock there to look at beavers? I mean, what? What? Who knew? Anyway, the FBI released a statement on Monday and said very little, <laughs> according to the New York Times. Very little about what they were up to. And they said we, are, we were doing something as a result of a court-authorized excavation. Um, and they said the conclusion of which was nothing was found. But the fact that the FBI showed up has, of course, just got the locals and other treasure hunters uh, salivating. Uh, they figure it's m millions of dollars worth of, of gold that was being transported um, in the week prior to the Battle of Gettysburg, 1863. Uh, and the Union wanted it to be able to pay their soldiers. It was in Wheeling, West Virginia, the gold, and it was uh, brought up uh, from Wheeling, and apparently, somewhere in Elk County, it sort of went missing, as they say. And uh, the historical records suggest that uh, it was lost in this wilderness area. And uh, who knows, maybe got buried. Just saying. But that made the New York Times today. I never heard of it. Um... Oh, so the uh, the sweet-faced young man who turns out to be the serial bomber uh, is described by the chief of police as a very challenged young man, challenged in his personal life that led him to this point. How empathetic of the chief of police. I'm just bringing this up to say if he hadn't looked like a Caucasian choir boy, if instead this bomber had been brown, can you imagine a chief of police saying a very challenged young man, challenged in his personal life that led him to do these things. If he were black, hmm? Would that have been said? I'm just pointing out white privilege, guys. This is this is what white privilege looks like. Uh you're not called a terrorist, even though you terrorized an entire city. You're given sympathy. But if you're anything but a white guy, that ain't going to happen. Incredible. I just, I mean, it's so, once you're aware of white privilege, once you take in and acknowledge its existence, you start seeing it. I guess it means you're somewhat woke right so there it is and when I saw that quote I thought wow wow as opposed to a black young man same age 
who has to worry if he pulls out his cell phone in public because somebody will think it's a gun and kill him. Right? White privilege. If you're white, I am. Enjoy it, I guess. Enjoy it. You did nothing to earn it. It just comes to you by virtue of your lack of, uh, what is it? Melanin, I believe. <laughs> Insanity. Speaking of white people, wait a minute. I, oh, I just remembered this. I, a friend uh, asked me to uh, accompany her to a concert Sunday night. It's a concert I wouldn't on my own have attended. But I thought, what the heck? I'm not a concert goer. But this was in a smaller venue, the Carnegie in Oakland. And um, it was two artists that, I mean, I've heard of, but I must say I don't listen to regularly. And they are Lyle Lovett, who I most know for being married to Julia Roberts for um, about 10 seconds back in the day. And um, a woman named, oh, geez, uh, I'm blanking. Anyway, so it was acoustic guitars, and they just sat there, and they played their guitars, and they talked back and forth way too much, if you ask me. I mean, I don't think people go to a concert to hear people talking, particularly not talking in a very sort of laid-back saying not much of anything. I was really stunned. And I was thinking, I was looking at the audience. I was sitting way in the back. And I was looking at the audience because I was saying, who is here? Because it was packed. And it was, I'd say, people mostly of a certain age, a little bit younger than me. Um, but a lot of gray hair and bald heads I was seeing as I looked forward. And clearly white. I mean, if there was a person of color in that audience, I did not see them. I don't think. So I thought, so I'm sitting here with a whole bunch of white people, and I'm looking at those two white people on the stage, and they're not very dynamic. They're just saying their things. And I wish they'd play, because when they played, it was good. And... Then I noticed something else that I've also noticed when I've gone to the Pittsburgh Symphony. And when I go to the Pittsburgh Symphony, it's always because somebody has a ticket and they ask me to accompany them. <laughs> I'm such a cheapskate when it comes to concerts. So, yeah, and I've been at the Pittsburgh Symphony, and that's all mostly white, too. Not totally, but mostly white. And <laughs> the audiences... Never move. I mean, you, if I were looking, as I said, I was in the back row, and I saw this un, absolutely immobile group of you know, shoulders and heads. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to music, I tend to... 
even in a constrained situation, like I'm in a little chair and um, I can barely move anyway because they're made for people in uh, 1822 or something, and you know they were littler, and I, you're stuffed in there. But doesn't your head move a little? Not a twitch. And the same at the symphony. This is what you see. Absolute stillness. And I thought to myself, white people. I think. Because I don't think you could fill up a room with brown people or black people. Native Americans, I'm just starting to think of all kinds of people and play music that they have come to hear and not see movement. <laughs> Tell me I'm right. I mean, because I know I am. Tell me I'm right. What the hell is wrong with us white people? What is wrong? Now, on the other hand, I am one to complain mightily if I have bought a ticket to a concert and the people in front of me stand up and start moving. Because then I have to stand up if I want to see, right? So I believe in movement, but stay seated, please. That's all. I mean, so somewhere in between the para paralysis of white people uh, listening to music, and I know this is a, I'm painting with a broad brush, but you could, and I have a friend who has a band, and I threw this by her, it was the next day, and she started laughing, and she said, you know, a lot of us musicians, we, it drives us crazy, we're up there, we're like, you know, our hearts our souls are into what we're doing and we look out and we have this she said they talk about it what is with those people so i'm asking what the hell is going on i mean move your head that's okay that won't annoy anybody bob your head nothing happened i mean how do you not maybe there were some feet that i couldn't see like sort of keeping a beat. I don't know. But you would have thought it was mass paralysis. That's what it looked like. So, we have a call. Hello, caller. Hi, Lynn. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to the wrong concerts, I'm telling you that. I don't go to them anymore, but hell, I've been with people dancing, singing, rock concerts, country music concerts. I don't know what concert you're going to, but the white people are moving. There's black people that are moving. Everybody's moving, dancing, singing. Yeah, so well, I, I, know. I know, no, no. I'm the last. You're the wrong concert. No, as I, I said, you are. All right, all right, all right. But yes. okay, but Lyle Lovett. Okay, so they don't jump up and dance well, to Lyle Lovett. Kind of like blah anyway. Well, <laughs> yeah, I went to a Rolling Stone concert and everybody was dancing and freaking out, including me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was a bunch of white folks. But what is that about, I mean, I don't get that, how you can ever listen to any kind of music. 
and not and sit oh, so yeah. quietly. I don't get it. I don't get that either. Okay, well, I'm just saying, <laughs> because that is the case, that was the case at this concert, that is the case at the symphony, and um, <laughs> and it makes me nuts. It does. Okay, you're right. I I'm going to the wrong concerts. That. I know. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Goodbye. We have another call. Hello? Hey, good morning, Lynn. Hi. Hey, Lynn, people are jag-offs. If they're, yeah, they're just uh, descending around. They don't want to have a good time. They're the energy suckers of the world, these concerts you go to. I've been to the both where there's energy. I went to a Michael Fronty concert, uh, a free one down at the uh, Point. I don't know if you know Michael Fronty and Spearhead. Do you know who he is? Or? No, I'm out of it. I mean, okay. he's, um, he's like a black reggae star, young guy. Okay. But the energy, he came running around. He was live, but he had a speaker. He was talking grandmas. The energy level and the power that you felt through the live music was 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 phenomenal. Yeah. You can't pay for that. You can't. I mean, you can't experience that by a no. record or world. Right. And you know what? Like reggae. Yeah. Oh my God! You could anybody who could sit still with reggae is is and, dead. Well, that that would be a dead person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And. It, and so this was acoustic guitar. I mean, it was acoustic guitar, but it had a beat. It had, but but the the people who were doing the music were themselves these really low energy, to use a Trumpian phrase, low energy white people. And I guess they got yeah. what they gave in that regard. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah, exactly. That's what they play to their audience. Their audience likes that, which. To you, it's like, what the hell? Is, come on, people, wake up here. <laughs> what is, what's the funeral about here? Come on, I know, wake up. I know. But that's why I am, too, and me and you. But I know, that's eh, disappointing that you, that you go there. And you feel, you, you know, you feel bad for yourself. You felt bad for the audience. You think, what the hell? Come on, people. And right, I could tell these were, minutes. you know, these are fans. These are fans of these guys <laughs> yeah. because they would start a, you know, they would start a song and there'd be a smattering of applause. Yeah, oh yeah, good. And and yet there's no I'm serious. I didn't see one bobbing right. head. You saw you saw Wild Leather, right? Yeah. That's not that's, that's what you I I never I'm not a big fan of his, but the guy I've heard him play different styles and the guy is phenomenal though. He's really talented. Andrew, yeah, I agree. He is really talented. I mean he could do amazing things. I am not a big country what he's kinda of like a rockabilly kind of country guy. Or he can play a lot of different things, but right. It doesn't he's decided he's gonna be low dry, low gear, and the audience is low gear, and you're like sitting there like, guys, what the hell kinda if this is what you enjoy doing it just seemed on the same agreement here. Yeah. yeah. This is not how yeah, fun. No. It was I mean, odd because that. no, he's a very talented and and so and the other singer had an incredible voice, but all her songs were really depressing. And I mean, I guess, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, bop around when somebody's talking about, you know, death yeah, and my life falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go out and feel happy when I come I don't want to feel like Worse than I normally do, but I went to get trumpet there, so I want to go. I don't want to come out of a concert and go, "Oh my God, that is terrible." Oh, oh right, right. I so I went to oh, the concert man. and then I went home and killed myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're. That's not the purpose of it, but oh well. We okay. Went, had a good. We, 
at a time. It was not. I mean, it it was not. But I I, I did want to. I was getting really itchy, thinking, okay, wrap this up because this is. You're correcting your observations. That you know, as a reporter, you can you're observing things all times, and as you can see, you can feel the energy, you can feel the flow. You don't understand it, but I obviously the people liked it, and that's what they wanted. They 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 did. I mean, they 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 had a good time. Okay. From a third party perspective, what you're saying. All right, Lane. All right, yo. Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Yeah, and I was itching to go home and see uh, a basketball game, too. I have to admit. Uh, There was movement in a basketball game. I can't sit still that long. How can people do that for two hours? I... (laughs) Anyway. Okay, I got something a little more serious here. Oh, we have a call? Oh. oh, now I'm complaining we got callers. Yesterday I was saying, where are you? Okay, caller, go ahead. Hi. Hi, Lynn. Hi. I had to turn the volume down. Hey, Lynn, um, there's a, our city has a wealth of talent here. It's, it, it's amazing. Um, uh, on Saturday afternoons, down in the south side, four in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night, I call it uh, senior daycare because it's our generation. And uh, anyhow, it's um, there's a, it's a rhythm and blues group. It's a little place on Carson Street called uh, Excuses, and uh, the group's called the Aces. They're all older people, and um, they're so talented, and the music is so good that if the music is good, you can't not dance. Yeah. And the audience is, we. It, it's funny because I look around, and it reminds me of back in the 80s at about 2 o'clock in the morning at a club. Huh. We are dancing and, and beating on the tables, and, and, and the, what's so wonderful about this, our age group at this time of life, and the music there. Um, there's a bubble. It's like everyone, everyone appreciates that we leave our problems at the door. We come in there. It's like a, it's like going to church. I gotcha. It's like going to temple. It's just a, it's a, um, I, it saved my life. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But it's funny because then a lot of times the younger people come in after the, our other, the old people are leaving and just to see. You know, to see them, because a lot of times they come in earlier, the bands, and they're watching us. It, it's just a wonderful experience. But, okay. you know, if well, the music is good, if the music, and then, you know, people have said to me, oh, jeez, the new people coming in there, wow. You know, they, I was hesitant to even put it on the air here because it's getting more crowded. Okay, well, then you shouldn't have. All right? I yeah, don't shouldn't care. Have. You okay, know what? You go. It's like when I find a great uh you know detour or a, a shortcut uh park how you park in a place that's hard to park you don't tell anybody yeah no, keep it no, to yourself yeah. all right she didn't say anything about this sort of like uh old farts happy it's hour music thing on excuse, the no excuse yeah for, it it's really like doesn't happy. get it, yeah it's like it doesn't the, pick up till about five or six because a lot of people no. but it starts at four and I'll tell you, what, it's magical. The band, they, they are so talented that a lot. There are more musicians in the area that come in there okay. to jam with the band. Right, Half the time, 
the audience is you're not gonna to get a seat next time stop it i'm for your own good just stop it okay thank you though thank you bye you, <laughs> yeah you too it's like the early bird special four to eight Jeez. Oh. okay okay i now i i'm sorry i even brought it up uh oh just one email Anyone who agrees with me gets on immediately. Lynn writes, we agree about so much, Lynn. I am always aghast when there is no movement at a concert, and I have been to many, not even a twitch of a shoulder. Not so at the Pretenders at, Palumbo, at the Palumbo Center. Everyone was standing and dancing. Well, you know, some music, folky music, doesn't necessarily lend itself as much. An acoustic guitar, I, let's give them that, okay? At a Suzanne Vega concert, uh, same thing, everybody dancing. It was at Metropole, and we were almost at the exit when she belted out the boy in the belfry. Well, we ran back in and joined the frenzied crowd. I didn't move too much at Rosebud for October Project, but I was crying like a baby at the music. It's the music! I went to the symphony, too, at the piece. I thought everyone would recognize the people were statues. Yeah. But at the at the at the symphony, there is a a sense that you're supposed to not move. I mean, there is. I mean, it's very sort of there's a sense of rigidity there, which I think is one of the things that you know could kill the symphonies in this day and age because uh, our culture ain't exactly what you'd call rigid anymore. Anyway, okay, I'll leave it alone because, I mean, some, yeah, some music is definitely, if you're, you have to dance to. There's no doubt about it. Um, and others maybe is more contemplative. But I'm sorry, if there's a beat going on, I got to move something. I got to move some body part. Okay, so I read something last night before I went to bed, which is probably why I didn't sleep well, uh, that was written as a review of a book, but the author was Andrew Sullivan, I think is who wrote it. And, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, this is about a, a, a book, which is a compilation of essays, uh, and the title of it is Can It Happen Here? <laughs> and it's about, you know, can the United States essentially become an authoritarian government? Can, can Americans actually, can we see this grand experiment disappear? I think one of the things, obviously, that has driven a lot of the stress, the anger, the resistance, all that stuff, is this fear that we are seeing the beginning of that. And consequently, books like this and essays like this. But the scary thing, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to read this to you. Because if I didn't sleep last night, I don't see why you should sleep, okay? And also, I think I tend to agree with it. Um, even my new, more optimistic self. The, starts off by saying, you know, no, Trump is not about to stage a coup. He probably won't even be impeached. He's not going to suspend elections. He's not even going to become a dictator. The more likely model 
for America becoming an authoritarian state is more like what's happened in Turkey. We've seen that. Or what's happened in Hungary. Odds are more people are aware of what's happened in Turkey. And that is you get someone in, like the presidency, like Donald Trump, and you begin a process. And here is what that process looks like. Here's what I'm going to read. The dismemberment of a public discourse centered on objective truth. That's a key first step. I'd check that one off. And that is fomented by unceasing dissemination of outright lies from the very top, and then they are metastasized and metabolized by a tribal social media. Back to Facebook. Also, some of the ingredients you need. Ever more extreme talk radio or cable television and what is essentially a state propaganda channel, Fox News. You also do the neutering of the courts. And uh, Sullivan says, and Trump is well on his way to constitutionally, with the powers he has as president, establishing a federal judiciary whose most important feature seems to be assenting to executive power. Congress itself, he notes, has far less approval than even Trump has. Its inability to do anything but further bankrupt the nation, enrich the oligarchy, and sabotage many Americans' health care leaves an aching void, which is then, of course, filled by the executive. So, Right there, he's dispatched with the three branches of government. The executive, the judiciary, which he appoints in large part, and then kowtow, it kowtows to him. And then this also enabling do-nothing Congress. He says this, I don't think Trump has a conscious intent to vandalize liberal democracy. He doesn't even understand what it is. Rather, his twisted, compulsive insecurity forces him to use his office to attack, to delegitimize, and weaken every democratic institution that may occasionally operate outside his own delusional narcissism. Wow. Right on. And he goes on to say he can't help this. His tweets are a function of spasms, not plots. But the wreckage after only one year is extraordinary. The FBI is now widely discredited. The CIA is held in contempt. Judges, according to the president, are driven by prejudice and partisanship. And that's when they disagree with him, of course. The media, what do they do? They just produce fake news. 
Congress is useless. Alliances are essentially rip-offs. Who needs allies? The State Department, along with the whole idea of a neutral civil service, eh, unnecessary. And so he says, so the Democrats find themselves in opposition a little in like Ma- Marco Rubio in the primaries. Okay, remember Rubio? First he tried to take the high ground, the high road, and he was irrelevant. And then he decided, okay, I'll get down in the dirt with the SOB. So he took the low road and found out that you can't compete with the biggest bully and liar on the block. Also, the one with the bully, strangely, bully pulpit. So the result is, is that this president is slowly constructing the kind of authoritarian state that America was founded to overthrow. And here's the depressing part, (laughs) as if that, that was the uplifting part. Here's the depressing part. There is nothing in the Constitution's formal operation that can prevent this. As long as, and he says impeachment probably isn't going to work, and as long as one major political party, that'd be the Republicans, endorses what is happening, and a solid bunch of Americans support this slide into authoritarianism, it's unstoppable. The founders knew that without a virtuous citizenry, the Constitution was a mere piece of paper. And then he credits my, my heartthrob, Benjamin Franklin, for really saying it. He said, Ben Franklin said, in forecasting the moment we are now in, that this experiment in self-government can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it when the people become so corrupted as to need despotic government because they are incapable of any other. Okay, now you try to sleep. I thought that was really pretty much right on, right? Hey, on a happier note, tomorrow we got a guest in studio. He is a guy who stops by once a year, (laughs) a former Pittsburgher, now a shrink to the stars in Hollywood. In between that... He was a screenwriter who wrote one of my favorite movies, which is called My Favorite Year, starring Peter O'Toole. And he also was a screenwriter for Welcome Back, Cotter. Then he became a therapist, and also he is, as being a writer, he's taken to writing mystery. Um, and every puts a book out about once a year and comes home to Pittsburgh and stops by. Uh, And his latest book, called Head Wounds, 
um, I've read. And Dennis Palumbo will be here uh, tomorrow. He's doing a lot of appearances in, in town tomorrow. And he's always a great deal of fun to talk to. I mean, obviously, an uh, interesting character. His, um, his therapy uh, job uh, is, is focused on other writers in Hollywood. So one can only imagine who goes to him. He, of course, won't talk about it, but, I mean, one can only imagine what he knows. Anyway, so Dennis Palumbo will be here. And um, his, his books are, are, are thrillers, crimes, you know, what do they call those, procedurals? I don't know. I, I don't, I, it's usually not the genre I, I, I read, but I have read all his books because they're set here in Pittsburgh. And the lead character is a forensic psychologist who uh, works a lot with the Pittsburgh police. So it's, it's fun. It's a fun read. That's tomorrow, so we won't have to be dealing with any of this crap. And speaking of TV, so Roseanne is coming back. Are you aware of that? Wow. It's been more than 20 years and next week, Roseanne, starring, I mean, wow, starring, of course, Roseanne. <laughs> but also, John Goodman, who has what? I mean, has he, he's been Academy Award nominated a number of times. And uh, uh, Laurie Metcalf, these are all original series people. They're all coming back. Laurie Metcalf was uh, nominated for an Oscar this year. I don't know if she won. Did not did she win for um, Lady Bird? I don't think. Anyway, so you've got all these great actors coming back, and um, they got the whole bunch to come back. And so we're checking in with this same family, the Connor family, 20 years later. And here's what's interesting. This was a blue collar. This is one of the things that Ro Roseanne was sort of a little like the Archie Bunker character. It was a way for Americans to see bl a blue collar family, right, in a sitcom. And Roseanne, that will be re rejiggered coming back next week. I got news for you. It's going to upset some folks. Roseanne. Because she said, well, of course, she would have voted for Trump. So this is going to be Roseanne as a Trump supporter. Um, and maybe it'll end up filling the same kind of, again, the same kind of thing that, um, what's his name, O'Connor did with Archie Bunker. I mean, he played a racist, right, in a comedy, and America loved it. She's going to, but who knows? Uh, we will see. Her sister will play a anti-Trump person, Laurie Metcalf, and so there's going to be some political back and forth on, uh, very current <laughs> on this new iteration of Roseanne. Um, we'll see. When I told my son that, you know, Roseanne's going to be a Trump supporter, he was, he said that can't be. 
because his sense of Roseanne Barr is this, you know, this just, you know, crotch-grabbing, star-spangled banner, uh, destroying, uh, in-your-face feminist. Um, But in reality, uh, I don't know. My... I thought I read somewhere where it actually said that Roseanne herself was a Trump voter, which I find impossible to believe. I mean, he hates her, doesn't he? Isn't she one of these people that he he goes after? I mean, she ran for president in 2012, the nominee of the Peace and Freedom Party. And that party's platform was universal health care and uh, legalization of marijuana. So, go figure. I don't know. Just saying. It might be interesting. It might be... In- we'll see if we're still capable of laughter. About, you know, well, I mean, we have those, all those late night people who get laughter out of our current uh, political horror. Um, But in a sitcom, I don't know. I don't watch sitcoms, so I don't know. We have a call. Hi, caller. Lynn, it's me again. I'm sorry, but Uh, 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 last night... Not allowed. Last night... I'm so sorry, but I got to say... Well, quickly. uh, Last night, uh, Rachel, Rachel was talking about the ability that... Putin has to control our electric grids now. He can uh-huh. turn it off and on. Well. And the, the, the presidential situation that we have, that to me was, that, that, that just was too much to process. The yes. electric grid in the United States. Well, they hacked the, in, no, I don't know about that. They hacked in, they can hack into our, yeah, our, our utilities. Um, and they did, and they hacked into some nuclear power plants, and they could have done all kinds of stuff they did not do, but they could have. And uh, Donald these Trump. These are rational people, and these, these well, are this, these are this is this, this is he he rides around on a horse without a shirt on. This guy is a lunatic. They're lunatics. They're Kim Jong they're all... They're, no, he's not. Well, I got to tell you, no, Putin is not a lunatic. Donald Trump is a oh. lunatic. Putin is yeah. a, a, a despot, and he's, he wants power, and he wants yeah. the Soviet Union to be reconstituted, and he wants his country to be the big bad, uh, you know, whatever again. So, whatever, whatever. But, no, thank you, hey. off. Off you go. Off you go. Uh, speak, speaking of our, um, d- our despotic uh, lunatic, um, did you see, I quoted uh, the former CIA director John Brennan the other day with a tweet he leveled at Trump, which was astonishing. But um, he said on Morning Joe yesterday, this i think talking about trump i think he's afraid of the president of russia the russians i think have had long experience with donald trump and may have things they could expose 
Now, I've said that for months and months, but I'm not the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. If a former head of the CIA is saying, look, the only way you can parse this is, and we know from the business dealings, it was Russian oligarchs who bailed out the Trump empire when no one would bail him out. And those oligarchs are Putin's pals. There is no way that Putin doesn't have something on our president. It is the only thing that can possibly explain his refusal to do anything but kowtow to Putin. I'm just saying. And then, as if that doesn't tell you that, you've got Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor he first appointed. He has already pled guilty to lying about his connection to Russia. You've got the former foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos. He has already pled guilty to lying about his involvement with Russia. You have Paul Manafort, who has been charged and is going to trial, right, about his. I'm telling you, we know this. What we're hoping is that somehow, somehow, Mueller is going to be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt in so many cases that it becomes absolutely clear. We know the Russians tried to get him into the White House. Why would they not want in the White House as head of this country and a fool, a fool who they've got stuff on? That's what the dossier was about. And nothing in that dossier has been proved incorrect. Nothing. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm going to end on a happier note. You know that Mike Pence, our vice president's daughter, has written a book. Yeah, it's about a bunny. It's about a bunny rabbit that apparently does live in the vice presidential mansion. And um, his name is Marlon Bundo. And so she's written a child's book called Marlon Bundo's Day in the Life of the Vice President. It's a picture book. Well, John Oliver, <laughs> never one to pass up an opportunity, has uh, also written a book. And uh, his book is called, is it called the same almost thing? His book, I forget the title, I can't find it, also is a book for children. But his book 
a day in the life of Marlon Bundo is a gay romance between two bunnies. Um, and his book's out, her book's out, his book has climbed already to the top of the um, Am of Amazon. Number one spot on Amazon. Meanwhile, Charlotte Pence's book about Marlon Bundo is at number four. Um, Oliver's book on the gay rabbit, Marlon Bundo, is at number one and has uh, eclipsed at number two James Comey's Tell All, which uh, those are pre-orders because that hasn't come out uh, quite yet. Anyway, um, I must say this. Uh, Charlotte uh, Pence, the daughter, is being very cool about this. She's, she's not gotten upset. I mean, as far as we know, not publicly. Also, uh, John Oliver's audio book of the book um, is selling like hotcakes. It is the highest uh, selling audio book on Amazon. Um, and it is, God, here's who we got to voice it. Jim Parsons plays Marlon Bundo. John Lithgow is a stink bug who apparently is the bad guy. Um, and, yeah. So, if you want to know the the plot in John Oliver's Marlon Bundo book, Marlon Bundo is a snappily dressed bunny with a penchant for bright bow ties and he falls in love with a bespectacled boy bunny named Wesley. Things seem to be going pretty well for the two lovebirds until a powerful stink bug, John Lithgow, who bears a striking resemblance to Vice President Pence, decrees that male bunnies cannot marry each other. In the grand tradition of children's literature, the story does end on a happy note. Uh, shows Marlon Bundo and Wesley standing in a field wearing tuxedos as a cat in clerical garb marries them. Um, so, John Oliver going after the vice president's uh, homophobia uh, and using the vice president's daughter's children's book as uh, the way to do it and all the... I, I, my understanding is all the money that's coming in to purchase both books is going to charity. So um, in that regard, that's, that's good. Um, so I think that's uh, pretty much it, as far as I know. And uh, I thank you. And uh, again, tomorrow we'll have a warm body in here. Uh, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with Dennis Palumbo. Hope you'll join us. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.